0: Let's get into the message today. We're going to read from Mark chapter 6, verses 53 to 56. And I've entitled this message today called Jesus Revealed. And just as we're about to get into this text, uh, as you find it, uh, as you find your way there, the context is this, that Jesus has started to expose himself. He started to reveal himself and he started to do some healings. And so people that have been sick and trusting for healing have been finding it in him um, and so people are saying, is, is this a great physician? Is this a doctor? Uh, he had started to set people free from the demonic. Uh, and so people were asking Jeepers, is this, is this just like a great prophet from heaven? Uh, so he had started to expose who he was. And just before this text, what's happened is 5,000 people have just been fed. Uh, and again, some scholars would, uh, would argue over whether it was 5,000 actual people or 5,000 households, any which way, Five loaves and two fish aren't going to feed 5,000 or 25,000. Any which way, a miracle was needed. Uh, and so the point is, Jesus performed a miracle of multiplying food. And so there's people being healed. There's the demonized people getting set free. He can multiply food. Who is this guy? And people were starting to want to find out who he is. And some were following him, and some were inquisitive, and some hated him. Uh, but people were pressing And this is where we pick up the text in Mark chapter 6, verse 53 to 56 for today's message. When they had crossed over, that's the disciples and Jesus, so they got onto a boat. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and they anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. And they ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, Or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to thank you for your word, which is still alive today to minister to us, and so as I go through a couple of thoughts today, I I, I pray by your spirit, would you open our minds, would you open our hearts Would you renew us in our thinking? Would you align us? Would you convict us if there are things that we need to be convicted about? And would you show us your love? And so would you do this through the message that is spoken today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this. Here's this guy who's doing these incredible things. Jesus. Jesus. And uh, he's just longing to go to a place. He's feeling like a little crowded. And so he says to his disciples, let's get in a boat and let's go somewhere else. I just need a little bit of time out. Who needs a bit of time out every now and again? eh? We get a little like oversensitized to people and we just need some time out. So this is what Jesus has done and he's gone. And literally as he touched foot on shore, it says this. And as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. And so the first kind of thoughts that I'm having is this thing of recognition, recognition. Do we recognize Jesus in our midst? A question to us personally, a question to us collectively. Do we recognize Jesus in our midst? And I think it's an important question for us to answer because I think there's so many, there's so much noise today. There's so many things happening today. There's so many people with opinions on who Jesus is and what he does and how he does it. That we may take our cue off of other people rather than our own relationship with Jesus. And we may not necessarily know or recognize when Jesus is in our own midst. We're crying out to God for answers and particular things that we may be battling with. Sometimes as a church collectively, what we're trusting for. Are we able to recognize him? I love the fact that there were a whole bunch of people that had been keeping their eyes open because they'd heard of healings, they'd heard of demonized people being set free, they'd heard of people being fed out of two loaves and five, uh, uh, five loaves and two fish. No, what? Other way around. No, five, five fish and two loaves. Uh, they'd been fed by very little. And um, they've been hearing of this. So they're keeping their eyes open to be able to recognize this one that's doing that. I feel like there might be something in the church today that's been lost where we're not keeping our eyes open and attentive to the things that Jesus is doing amongst us. And therefore, we're missing out on recognizing when he comes into town, if I can say that. So uh, just this thing of recognition, like how, how well are you able to recognize things? It's like I can tell you now in a lineup of Ladies' legs, I'll call out Jax's legs every day of the week. Thank you. You can. Thank you, Tash. You're allowed to laugh in church. It's all right. We'll be a little bit uh, less R-rated, and we'll go. My, my, my 11-year-old son, Tyden, opens the batting for his cricket team, and he opens with a, a friend of his who is the same height, has the same color helmet and same make, has the same pads, has the same bat, And so when they stand out in the middle of the pitch, which is very far away and I can't see very well, I have no idea if it is my son that is batting or not until he starts running. And instantly I can recognize that's my boy. I wonder if there are those moments in your life where you can go, that's Jesus' walk. I recognize that. That's Jesus' way because there's so many books today, there's so many opinions, so many pastors preaching. There's so many things, and and it can look like Jesus. It can be clothed like Jesus. But only when the walk starts happening do you, ah, that is Jesus. Like, Are we able to understand that? Do we have a relationship in such a way that we can recognize that? Not so long ago, uh, I was... I I was out and about, and my phone died, it had been a a long day, and I I needed to phone my dad for something, uh, to get his opinion on on a church matter, but having not had, my my phone having died, uh, I couldn't phone him on my phone, and somebody offered me a phone, and I suddenly realized I I didn't know my dad's phone number. Five years ago I knew my dad's phone number, maybe ten years, I don't know, time flies. And so th- th- I, I suddenly got into a position where I, I realized that the advent of technology, which has served us so well in so many areas, has actually caused a bit of a drawback in areas of my life. I, I, I didn't recognize a number that I once upon a time knew. And so as we go through this, I, I wonder, I take it a little bit more, more to home for me personally, is... Uh, I do most of my Bible reading electronically now. And I suddenly find myself battling to recall where certain scriptures were. Because I'm used to just searching and it comes up. Whereas 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I memorized scripture. And when a thought came to mind, I knew, oh, okay, that's from Philippians, that's from Ephesians, that's from Corinthians. That's, and I could then go there and start to understand it. And so even my memorization of scripture has got poorer. And so I'm recognizing it less. These are very real things that we are confronted with today. And so this crowd, that as Jesus stepped foot on shore, recognized him. I think the church today, and this is a general statement, not this, is not a, this is not a message to you as Anthem. This is an invitation, a call to keep, uh, to keep the main thing the main thing. But I think the church for a large part, has forgotten, has lost uh, the touch of recognizing Jesus. Because we're so used to Jesus being delivered electronically. We're so used to Jesus being, uh, somebody else will just deliver him to us. That when we're in our own home and we're crying out to God for something, we, we don't know how to recognize that. Because it was the phone, it was the pastor, it was the church that always helped me interpret or recognize Jesus. But Jesus desires that each of us would have a personal relationship with him. And so I just want to uh, start by asking us this question today of recognition Do you recognize Jesus? Would you recognize Jesus? Do we battle to recognize Jesus? And it's okay wherever we find ourselves, but it is good to know where we are so that we can take a step forward. And so I do want to invite us to step forward. We don't want to stay where we are, where maybe we battle to, find, to see Jesus. We battle to recognize his cadence, his walk, his temperament, etc., etc. We need to understand that something has a feel on it. I, I, sometimes, I, I, so I'm aware that there is a pastor in our nation who loves to give watches. That's like his generosity love language. And so I bump into a guy, and I go, oh, that's a nice watch. And he goes, yeah, I got given it by a pastor friend. I said, oh, you don't even have to tell me who. I know it is because it's got the fingerprint of that guy on him. I wonder if as we're going through life, oh, that's got the fingerprint of Jesus because I know that that would be his kindness, that that would be his grace, that that would be his mercy, that would be his pace do we recognize these things in his life in order to recognize them for us? But let's assume that there is a recognition because there can't be a response without a recognition. And so the people recognize Jesus and then they respond. And we're going to start looking at what this response is. And and there are just a couple of things here that I see in their response, which I think I want to, as a pastor today, I want to call us, to elevate Jesus in our lives so that our response will be a little bit more like these guys than possibly what it is for us collectively. I'm very conscious that there are some amongst us whose response is like this. But I just want to keep, us calling, keep calling us to, to more, okay, to better. And so that's the attitude within my heart today. But, but recognizing Jesus leads to a response. And the first response we see from these people was urgency. They ran. As soon as they saw Jesus put foot on their shore, they ran. Today, I don't see too many people running to the church, running to Jesus. I see us running to many things, but not to Him. And I want to pull us into running to Jesus. They, it's just so compelling that it says, when they saw Him, they ran. I think there's two things that uh, we run for. We run towards something and we run away from something. So you picture the romantic comedy. You know where I'm about to go. Somebody's about to get on an airplane. I'm still at my house. I've just realized I made the biggest mistake of my life i got to get in the car, always a taxi. The taxi, it's always blocked up road to the, high, to the airport. I get out of the taxi. I run down the road like Superman. I get into the airport, and as she's about to go through the gate, I'm shouting over thousands of people. That's how it all plays out in my head anyway, uh, and in the movies. But there's this, I'm running towards because I've recognized that I'm about to lose something that I value. I think sometimes we're a little bit too blasé about the value of Jesus in our lives. And so we don't run after Him. Even if we recognize. So the first thing is we have to recognize Him. But when we do, do we run after Him? The second thing is we run away from something. What do you run away from? Unfortunately, I see people running away from the church. I don't want to commit I don't want to sow resource. The church hurts me. And those are all things that do happen. But the reality is Jesus is coming for his church. And so if you're not connected into the church, your salvation may be in order, but it's the church that he's connected us with. And we need to be a part of that. And so, how do we stay connected instead of running away from? I think there's only one thing that we should run away from. And uh, I find this in Mark chapter 9, 47 to 48. And it says this It says, It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. That scares me. I would hate to be in a place for all eternity where the worms do not die. That just sounds terrible. I'm grateful that in my relationship... Sorry, I need some water. Sorry about that. I'm grateful that it's not the fear of hell that makes me run toward Jesus because I've come to know him. And so his love for me and my love for him is what keeps me running towards him. But if you're in this room and the love for Jesus is not what compels you, then she's second would be running away from hell. That should be enough to make us run towards Jesus until we catch hold of him and find him. We sit in a day that we read about in Matthew chapter 24. 6 to 14 is the whole text. I won't read the whole thing. But it says, in the end end days, in the last days, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and there will be earthquakes. And these are the beginning of birth pains. We have Russia versus Ukraine at war, nation versus nation. We have Israel versus Hamas, who have just called all the Muslim nations to stand with them in defeating Israel. That is kingdom versus kingdom. We do a quick Google search. You don't have to research very hard. And we find this about famine. The United Nations World Food Program, which was created in 1963, says this, Never has hunger reached these devastating highs. From the eruption of all these conflicts and the escalating impacts of climate crisis, millions of people are being driven closer to starvation every day. So since the recording of famine today is worse than yesterday and the day before, and never has it been so high, according to the United Nations World Food Programme. The second thing we see here in terms of... um, Uh, Earthquakes. I I was pleasantly surprised, not pleasantly, no, that's a terrible description. Uh, I I was horribly surprised that uh, I was expecting to find earthquakes happening in the earth today to, to happen every couple of days, if not months. They're happening every few minutes. And if you go and read the research on it, it's the increasing of intensity that is the most concerning. So it's not these little micro earth tremors There are actually registered earthquakes where there is a a separation, a tearing. And they're happening every few minutes. That sounds to me like birth pains. I'm not standing here as a doomsday preacher because actually I don't believe that when Jesus returns is doomsday, I think it's the most glorious day (laughs) that we will have experienced. But I do want to say that there has to be a recognition for what's going on on the face of the earth today. Jesus said when nation rise against nation. When kingdom against kingdom, famine, earthquake, I'm like, this is all around us. I better get my affairs in order. I better make sure that I'm seeing right so that I will respond right. And so again, I'm not saying that Jesus is going to return in 10 days, 20 days. He, told, he says he doesn't know when he's going to return until the Father sends him. But the point is this. We know that we are one day closer today than we were yesterday. And as I read the signs, it looks a whole lot like birth pains. And so my responsibility in recognizing Jesus is to respond in such a way that I'm running after him because I'm not sure that walking is going to cut it anymore. He may be in another area. He may be in another town, and then you've missed him because we've walked as opposed to run, to be with him. The second thing we just see out of this response was the cost these people were willing to pay. They said wherever he went, towns, villages, countryside, they ran to him. Wherever he went. And so there's this cost that these people, as they recognized Jesus, these earlier followers of Jesus, that they were prepared to pay. I'm so conscious that it's, uh, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't about the church needing to attract people to it. It was just Jesus doing his thing which attracted people. When a living God does living God things, people come running. And I think the church has been guilty of not living in such a way that the living God is doing living God things in us. Wherever they went, wherever he went, they ran. May I just call us to increase our desire to, for him, because sometimes a 10-minute drive to church and a 75-minute service can be a cost too much for some of us. You're all sitting here, but sometimes we may feel like that in the morning. Again, I, I, I'm not saying this to, I, I'm not wanting to be harsh, I am, I am wanting to preach a word to say, hey, listen, guys, we're not, we're not for play anymore. We never have been for play, but we're certainly not for play anymore. The cost, will we carry the cost? You 2 came to South Africa, showing a bit of my age, because that was the last concert, last music concert I went to. And uh, they were playing in Cape Town and Joburg, Durban gets bypassed, uh, and so got the tickets and went to Cape Town. Went and watched you 2 and uh, I, I would queue for hours to get into, get a decent spot to watch you 2 play. And I kinda think like, gee, would I do that for a church service? To be in the presence of God with other people. What cost am I prepared to pay for Jesus? These guys were realizing, these early followers were realizing, this is the one who can heal. This is the one who can set free. This is the one who can restore and redeem. This is the one who can can provide for me even when there's nothing here. This is the one. I'm running after him and I will pay whatever price it is for him. Today we live in too many comforts and we've lost this, this value of Jesus. That's a general statement. So question, what lengths will we go to to see Jesus and to be with him? And here I want to present something which I think God is bringing to us to see. So part of uh, our prayer and fasting time before going to sewing September, uh, God had just put a desire in me to plant another church. Not that I would leave, but, but that Anthem would plant a church uh, in our city. And a week later, I get a phone call from a church leader who says, hey Rich, we're closing down our church and I just want to check that when, I, when we close down, we want to come and be with you at Anthem and I just want to point all of our people to come to you. Is that alright? So, that, that is alright, but can we, have another, can we have a further conversation around that? And as I said, I said, what's the dream in your heart? And he says, well, actually there's a community of about 100 people and the dream would be that there'd be another pastor that can come and lead them and love them. I said, well, let's aim for that dream. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that this community can stay. Whether it is an anth- becomes an anthem community and the one of somebody here that raises up as a pastor or whatever, but this is not close a church. I, I'm not in the habit of wanting to see churches close. I want to see churches opened and thriving. But it will come at a cost because it may mean to, to help that transition and to buy a bit of time, it's probably going to mean that John, Jax, and I share a preaching roster where we just keep sending preachers there to keep the community open to see what God allows to take place. And so the question to Anthem is, if I'm out every second week for a short period of time, or Jax is, or John is, so that we can keep another community alive, is that a cost we get prepared to take as a church in order to see the kingdom advance, in order to see a community stay alive? Or is that going to be a cost that's too far for us? I think God is doing this amongst us. I think there's an opportunity for us as anthem to mature, to, to go and put resource, both personnel and finances. I think, that, I think it's amazing that God puts this in, and one of the things we sow into is a church plant. And here's a church, and we're able to sustain it for a little while until a, a new plan or a better plan can be made. For the sake of a hundred other people. I will do that every day of the week. And the invitation is, would you do that alongside me and with me? The third thing we see here is the value they placed on Jesus. It says they begged him to let them touch him. They begged him. That's very, very strong language. Today, uh, we don't like to beg so much. Our children beg all the time. But we don't. as, As we get older... We beg less. Some of that is good because we've learned to minimize what we find valuable. And so there's not so many things that we're begging for. But some of it is also just a pride and an independence that we don't need Jesus so much. These people recognized that they needed him. And so they ran urgency from wherever they paid the price. And they begged him. They valued what he held. They valued who he was. They valued who he, uh, what he could give them. And I think there's this understanding that we need to take for the church. We need to, to just bring back to us and just say, is, is Jesus still number one for us in our personal lives? Do we order our lives around him? Are we still dependent upon Jesus for our provision? Are we dependent upon him for our relationships, our marriages? Are we dependent upon him for our children? Are we dependent upon him for our work? Are we dependent upon him? Or have some of those things just become comfortable and we no longer are begging just to touch Jesus in order to make it? You following me? And so the question is this, what do you value highest at this moment in time? What do you value highest at this moment in time? A statement that my staff hear from me all the time, and I have said it from the pulpit from time to time, is this, it's not about what it costs, it's about what it's worth. And if Jesus is worth something to you, cost becomes insignificant. It doesn't matter what it costs. I'll do it. I'll be there. I'll go there. I just want to be with Jesus. So it's not about what it costs, it's about what it's worth. And therefore, the question is not how much are you willing to pay, personal sacrifice, etc. The question is how much do you value Jesus? How much do you value him? And then that response leads to a revelation. So the recognition of Jesus led to a response which was urgent, they paid the price, and it was of extreme value. And then that led to a revelation. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, which is just a couple of verses on from where we're reading in the back end of Mark chapter 6. It says this, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. How amazing is that? That... Uh, Jesus, who desired to keep himself in secret, couldn't keep himself in secret. And churches, including ours, don't desire to keep ourselves a secret. And yet I still counter people weekly that live in this area, that shop next door, that don't know that Anthem exists. I'm like, how how does that work? How does that work that Jesus was trying to keep himself secret and he couldn't keep his presence secret? Anthem is trying not to keep herself secret, and yet is a secret to so many. And we're supposed to be growing in our Christ likeness. I say, okay, God, it's it's not you. It's not the, the the thing is not on your side, Jesus. The the thing is on our side to keep maturing in you, to be, keep coming like you. That we start as we recognize you and respond to you, we start to walk like you, so that others may start to recognize Jesus in us and respond in a particular manner. And so there's this revelation of Jesus. He could not keep his presence secret. And I think it's because, there's many reasons for that, but I I think there's this thing of, he was born to shift principalities and powers. And so I have said this at our Sowing September Feast and at our prayer time, but I want to say it again. The church The church exists to shift principalities and powers. To dethrone rulers of this world. It's what the church exists for. We are the body of Christ. We are to be recognized as Jesus on earth. The body of Christ. We're not separate from the head. He is the head. We are the body. But we're his body. And so this thing of birthing things that shift principalities and powers can only be done under the conception of the Spirit of God. That's how Mary conceived of Jesus. And so we can come with good strategies, good plans, latest things that we've seen in this church and that church and da 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 da, da. If it's not conceived by the Spirit of God, it's not going to shift principalities and powers, and we will remain a secret, even though that's not our desire. But with every birthing of something that shifts principalities and powers comes a corresponding genocide, which we would understand. Because the ruler is about to be dethroned. So when Jesus is born, Herod, who was going to be dethroned, orders a genocide for all males under two years of age. When Moses, who was the prophet of Israel, was going to lead them into freedom, was born, Pharaoh orders a genocide for all the the males under two years of age. I may stand here and say there's a church in our city that's going to close its doors, but they've asked us to help. And our response can be, okay, maybe God is birthing something in here, and we're prepared to pursue this in the Spirit of God. Or there can be a corresponding genocide that kills it before. Well, actually, Rich, we're going to leave the church if you're not here every week. And so Jesus is inviting us into a story that shifts principalities and powers. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's okay with Jesus being in this town and in that town and in that town, but faith still being expressed in all those towns. Because wherever he went, people were, either, were able to gather and run to him. And so... Just as I close out today, just, uh, sorry, this has been, it's it's not a somber message, but I know it is a, you get it. I don't have to apologize. Just the thing of recognizing Jesus, Would we recognize him in our midst? Would we recognize him? And when we recognize him, that has to lead to a response. And would our response, would our response be increasingly like these early followers where there was an urgency, they ran to Jesus, where they paid the price. Wherever he went, they went. And they held him in high value. They begged him for what he had. And once that response starts to shape us and we start to become more like Jesus, there is the revelation of Jesus through us that we would be influential in our city, not because we desire to be influential, but because Jesus transformed towns. And if we are more like him, it will have an influence. And so today I want to encourage us to take hold of this story in Mark chapter 6 and really allow the Spirit of God to grip you as He has gripped me in the last couple of weeks in, in putting this. this. This message has actually come out of a thought. I wasn't looking to prepare a message. I Just the Spirit of God gripped me. And I felt it was appropriate to bring it to us today. And so recognition leads to a response, which leads to a a revealing of Jesus, leads to a revelation. That's the story that I'm asking you to allow the Spirit of God to lead you on in the coming weeks.